Well, we are into a series of sermons this Advent on the I Am sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel. And these sayings are are pretty much Jesus' self-description that often comes in the context of him trying to tell folks who he isn't. (laughs) Trying to help them to understand that their expectations and projections and theological formulations of who the Messiah ought to be or is are not necessarily applicable to him. And so he says things like, follow me and and come and see and abide with me. Get to know me, in other words. Get to know who I actually am and let go of those expectations and projections. And so we've looked at, in the first week, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We've looked at, I'm the bread of life. We've looked at, I am the good shepherd. And today, we look at, I am the resurrection and the life. And each of these things address a kind of fear or a kind of debilitation that Jesus comes to resolve. He's the way, thus he's addressing that fear of of being lost and, and providing us a road on which to walk. He is the good shepherd in that he is offering us in the face of our vulnerability a kind of protection. He is the bread of life and in the face of hunger, one of our deepest and most easily felt needs. He is the one who offers nourishment and satisfaction. And today as we look at I am the resurrection, we're looking at our fear of death and in a sense of wondering what our lives in light of death are are actually about. So each of these have addressed a very deep need that humanity has, and Jesus comes to tell us that that he is the one who addresses that need. And and today as we look at I am the resurrection and the life in, in John 11, remember that these sayings are all paired with a sign that Jesus performs. The sign kind of gives witness to the thing that points to an essential trait about his own identity. The sign kind of is the occasion to make a statement about his identity and and to call people to look at him and know him through that relationship that he invites us to. And so today we look at John 11, 17 through 44, the story of the raising of Lazarus, and it is the raising of Lazarus that is that sign that kind of gives shape and substance to Jesus' phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. The context is is that Jesus' good friend Lazarus, he's also good friends with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, who live in Bethany. Jesus has heard that Lazarus is sick unto death and decides to wait a little while before he goes to Bethany. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has already died. And so we pick up the story at that point in verse 17 of John 11, where Jesus has arrived at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. 
and while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out, and they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. We pray as we always pray, Lord, help us to listen. Help us to receive what you have for us this day. And to go in the strength of that this week as we live our lives in this world, but live in light of the truth that is true for eternity. For we pray this in your name. Amen. I've often heard and said more than once myself that every preacher really only has one sermon. And we just keep re-preaching it over and over again. And with age, I added an aspect to this truism that every preacher has only one sermon and the older he or she gets, the more obvious that is to his or her congregation. <laughs> 
You take John, for instance, the writer of this gospel, and you look at his first epistle. I have to confess to you that I've always found it a bit annoying that the elderly John just keeps repeating himself so much within that letter. All of this stuff about love, beloved, love one another, love is of God, and he who loves is born of God, and so love one another. Just keep on loving one another. And it, it doesn't play very well if you're just reading that part of John for the first time and not seeing the full picture of him, but I would feel a certain irritation as I read this epistle because it was so redundant. And I had this image that I created in my mind of an elderly John sort of being carried into meetings on the Isle of Patmos, you know, kind of with a palsied wave as he was going by people and saying things like, beloved, love one another, love one another. And then I would take it even farther as a seminary student and imagine myself as one young disciple sitting in the audience at one of those gatherings on Patmos and taking bets with my friend about how many times the word love might be used. (laughs) But what I'm understanding as I get older about repetition and about that seeming sense of the onset of a maybe gentle kind of senility that happens to all of us, is that that singularity and that that repetition are not about senility so much as they are about focus. And maybe even the distillation of things into primary and important things that with time, the non-essentials, the stuff that you thought was important to be on the list, with time, those non-essentials begin to fall away and what is distilled at the end is the essence of really the most important thing one thinks needs to be said. And that's why, if you're wondering at this fourth of the six I Am sermons, That's why I have kind of distilled it, I suppose, to one basic point, and that is a relationship. That God made us for relationship with himself and one another, and that Jesus over and over again simply calls us to live into those relationships. And through the I am sayings, Jesus keeps saying, I've come to do something far bigger than establish an earthly kingdom that you all seem so anxious to be ushered in. I've come to do something bigger than that. I've come to restore the relationship for which you were created, the relationships for which you were created. I'm bigger than your projections of me, and I want to show you how your lives are a part of something bigger than you think. And so today, as we look at this passage, this wonderful story, John is a great storyteller, and this wonderful story of the raising of Lazarus, and there's a cinematic quality to it as people are coming and going. And I encourage you to read the whole thing. Just read all of chapter 11. But I want to just draw a couple of lines out of the verses that I read this morning. 
Two things that Mary and Martha say to Jesus and two things that Jesus says back to them and to the gathered crowd. That in these things, you see, I think, the essence, the distillation of what I'm talking about. Because, first of all, what Mary and Martha say to Jesus, and they both repeat the same line, is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What a great prayer. It's the prayer, where were you? Why weren't you? How come you didn't? Why aren't you who we needed you to be in this moment? And why were you that with someone else? You could have kept this all from happening. You could have done something to protect me from this pain. Our brother has died. And if you had been here, our brother would not have died because you would have done something, right? And then there's a second prayer. It's an answer to the question that Jesus asks once Mary has come out of the house and and greeted him and having this retinue of mourners of the village with her which is something we don't even begin to understand in in our culture, this this kind of pack that gathers around the grieving person and sort of moves in mass with one one mind to come alongside and be with the one who is grieving and and sort of corporately expressing what that one is, is experiencing. And so the huddle comes out. And Mary begins talking to Jesus, says the same thing that Martha said to him. Jesus is moved, John says, and says to them, where have you laid him? And they respond, come and see. Now, if you know anything about the Gospel of John, you know that that invitation is probably one of the greatest hits texts in this Gospel because it keeps getting repeated over and over and over again. Come and see. The first time it's used is when Jesus is addressing the disciples who just start following him because John the Baptist has said to them, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so they say, Hmm, that might be interesting to learn a little bit more about. And they start to follow him. And Jesus turns around and says, What do you want? And They're not sure, and so they say, well, where are you staying? And Jesus just says, come and see. And then that phrase gets used again in a variety of other circumstances, but here it's not in the mouth of Jesus that that invitation is offered. Here it becomes the prayer of the people back to Jesus. They pray back to him that request that he makes of them. The first two disciples who started following said, Lord, where are you staying? Where do you abide? And he says, come and see. But here, Jesus says, where have you laid him? And they say, come and see. Come and see where we live, Lord. Come and smell the stench of death. Come and feel the sorrow, the reality of this kind of dislocation. Come and see our world that you might know what is in our hearts and that it might touch you. 
come and see where we live and what our lives are like. Kind of a kumbaya prayer. Come by here. Show us that you're present even in our darkest hour. Those are the prayers that Mary and Martha pray. But there are also two things that Jesus says, two things that call the whole group of people there, but especially Mary and Martha, beyond their projections and expectations of him. Two things that help them to refocus on not who they need him to be, but who he actually is. And he says, first of all, I'm the resurrection. (laughs) I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, yet they die, yet shall they live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And it happens in the context of a theological conversation with Martha. Martha says, yes, Lord, I know my brother will rise again at the resurrection. And Jesus says, no, Martha, I am the resurrection. And in so doing, what he does is essentially say, Martha, look at me. Look at me and look beyond the mere discussion of a theological principle about some abstraction called the resurrection that will happen at the last day. Look beyond that and look at me because I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not about some distant event, some theological construct. The resurrection is a relationship that begins now and will continue through eternity. And then the last line of today's text that I read a few moments ago is Jesus says something that just grabs me every time I read it. After Lazarus emerges from the tomb, he says, unbind him and let him go. And there's two levels of meaning here, I think. One is, is just remove the things that are preventing this man from walking, the, the grave clothes that are, he's wrapped in. But there's something deeper than that. And it's Jesus saying, I've come to do much more than help you to head off pain. I've come to set you free. I'm not the one who keeps bad things from happening. I'm the one who delivers you into the broad and open space. I'm the one who enables you to be unbound and set free. In essence, he says, it's all so much bigger than your projections and expectations. It's all so much bigger than getting solutions to the things that you think you need. Because I'm talking about life and life that is far more abundant than anything you have ever imagined before. And here's the thing about that life. It's not just something that is some distant promise fulfilled only after death. It's life that begins now and continues into eternity. It's a relationship that begins now and grows ever deeper in this world and the next. 
It's a relationship that is the bridge between the two realities. It is the relationship that itself becomes a whole new reality that contains those two smaller realities. More specifically, the relationship turns them into one reality and life is about nothing more and nothing less than relationship with God. But for the time being, what we all know is that we don't fully experience it right now. We know a world that feels nothing like the one that Jesus describes, and so we have to ask the question every single day of our Christian lives, what do we do? And how do we navigate the tension between what is and and what is coming according to our experience? And I like to repeat myself again. (laughs) I like Wendell Berry's description of it where he invites us to practice resurrection. Live into that bigger truth. Practice resurrection. Put yourself in an eternal context, an ongoing context, and see what happens when you act out of that truth. It's like Paul's admonition in Romans 12, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to the Lord. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. I love what J.B. Phillips did with this text where he, he paraphrased it. Don't let the world press you into its mold. You fit into a very different reality than that set of the world's expectations of you. So practice resurrection. Live into the promise and hope of the future, but live into it now. Relate to the God who made us. Relate to the God who pursues us. Relate to the God who dwells in us. And let the power of the love of this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, draw us deeper and deeper into the life for which we were made. Let's pray. You are, Lord Jesus, the resurrection and the life. You are the essence of our deepest desire. So come to us, abide with us, in us, and empower us to abide with and in you. For we pray in your name. Amen.